The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast, Home Cinema Edition. Coming up, we've got the latest AV news. I talk about my gadget experiences this week. And the AV Podcast team round up the Bristol Sound and Vision coverage by discussing the highs and lows from an AV-packed weekend. This week's this week's Audio-Visual News. Bristol Sound and Vision is a success for the AV industry. M&K may disappear forever. Panasonic launched Blu-ray updates, Hitachi release new screens, and Sony try to be humble. We start this week with news from the 20th Bristol Sound and Vision show, held over the weekend of the 23rd to the 25th of February. The show attracted thousands of visitors, the majority being hi-fi and AV enthusiasts. There were a number of exclusive product launches at this year's show, and consumers were certainly treated to the very best products available in some fabulous demonstrations. If you'd like to hear what happened in more detail, then please download the recent AV podcasts from the show for interviews with manufacturers and members of the forums. And stay tuned as we wrap up our Bristol show coverage later in this podcast. From the good news, it is with sadness that we have to reveal well-known speaker manufacturer M&K appear to have gone into receivership. The brand is world-famous for its clients, who range from the likes of Lucasfilm, Skywalker Sound, Fox Studios and even Dolby Labs themselves. It's unclear at this moment in time what has caused the company's collapse, with little to no information coming from the company or their website, but sources close to the AV podcast have confirmed that it does indeed look like the worst may have happened, and that a buyer or buyers are currently trying to be found to take over the production of the speaker lines. If M&K do disappear due to this unfortunate turn of events, then the industry will lose one of the best-known and loved AV brands. Let's hope that a rescue package can be found. Moving on to high-definition playback devices, and Panasonic has released a firmware update for its DMP BD10 Blu-ray player. The patch upgrades the player's decoder to support both Dolby True HD and DTS HD high-resolution audio, and also claims to improve picture quality and extend disc compatibility to AVCHD format home shot discs. At the same time, news comes from Panasonic that it's shipping a new version of the player to retail, the DMP BD10A, which has the firmware as standard. The actual chassis of the DMP BD10A is the same as the original model and still lacks an Ethernet port. However, it sports a revised version of the company's HDAVI control system, now dubbed Viera Link, which allows users to operate multiple HDMI connected components with a single remote control. Now, Hitachi have released details of its budget-priced 50-inch plasma TV. The T-Series P50T01, which is expected to go on sale in April for around £1,500, is based on a 1280x1080 resolution panel, has a Freeview tuner, and utilises the latest generation of the brand's proprietary PictureMaster processing technology. Hitachi says that the screen is not only for the home cinema devotee, but for the entire family. 
According to Richard Bass, a senior manager at Hitachi, their designers in Milan worked closely with their Japanese development teams to create a new family look for the 50-inch plasma and all models in the new T-range. The sets boast a sleeker, more curvaceous frame, ultra-slim, bottom-mounted speakers and slimmer, tapered bezels, apparently. The latest US HD disc sales figures for the week ending February the 18th show Blu-ray titles gaining momentum over HD DVD, but only just. The data, released by Nielsen Video Scan First Alert, reveals that for every 100 BD movies sold, HD DVD shifted 98.71. Ken Crafio, Universal's HD DVD chief, says that when you factor the PlayStation 3 into the equation, BD hardware outnumbers HD DVD equipment by 5 to 1. Life to date title sales ratios are close to 1 to 1, so why aren't Blu-ray software sales outpacing HD DVD by a similar ratio? Graffio goes on to say that HD DVD players continue to have the highest disc to player attachment ratio. David Bishop, worldwide home entertainment president of Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, commented that seeing HD DVD in their rearview mirror is no surprise. But then he would say that. Blu-ray's success is something that they've predicted since they first started promoting the format. He cites technical superiority of the format and greater player introductions as reasons for a format victory. Nice to see Sony being humble for once. And finally, sticking with the humble Japanese giants, Sony Computer Entertainment has said that the European PlayStation 3 will lack the same level of PS2 and PS1 compatibility as US and Japanese machines. According to a release from the company, the Euro PS3 will feature a different hardware specification from the first wave of machines seen. Specifically, they'll no longer have the dedicated Emotion Engine and Graphics Synthesizer chip. Instead, units will feature, and we quote, a new combination of hardware and software emulation which will enable PS3 to be compatible with a broad range of original PlayStation titles and a limited range of PlayStation 2 titles. Hmm. The move has been done to cut production costs of the console. However, several sources within Sony have confirmed that this software emulation will not prove as effective as the original hardware option and backwards compatibility will suffer. So, yet again, Europe are seen as a third world country in regards to technology. Yet we pay the premium for the items. Nice. Brought to you by AV Forums and AVPlay.com. Oh my God, is there nothing you people can't do? This is the AV Podcast. Those of you familiar with this podcast will know that each week I bring you a little glimpse from behind the scenes in my sort of gadget life. And this week has been dominated really by the Best of Brit Blog Awards, which is something if you've not heard about, you really should get into if you're at all into blogs. It's run by Ask.com and Metro, and I'm one of the judges. Not surprisingly, I'm judging the technology section, uh, but I'm also the voice of a three-part podcast series that, that kind of covers the essentials of uh, the blog awards. I also get to interview many of the other judges. The idea behind the awards, in case it wasn't clear enough, is for the readers of blogs to nominate their favourites in a number of eight... I think, I think there's eight categories. I might have got that wrong, but there's about eight categories. There's also some sort of miscellaneous categories for really kind of wacky stuff. And in a way, it's, it, you know... I think something like this is necessary. I mean, I know The Guardian have done a blog awards and there have been various sort of uh, independent award ceremonies for, for bloggers. But I think what Ask and 
Metro are trying to do is give us some real status uh, and they've put quite a bit of money into this thing. Uh, there's adverts in the newspaper itself and they've got a nice website. I can't remember the URL which is extremely rubbish of me but if you go to my blog uh, jasonbradwick.com you'll see a post and all the links you need are there. So if you've got a blog that you particularly like, doesn't matter what it is, and you want to nominate it, go ahead because there's some, some really good prizes and I've got a feeling that this thing is going to grow into a kind of stalwart of the blog and web community within the next few years. That's it from me. In the morning I'm getting up to go and test compact cameras with Susie Perry. We're meeting at a school where we've got to run around on the athletics track and then we're going somewhere in the Malvern Hills. So there you go. That's my life. Back to today's podcast. The highest definition. Definition. This is the AV Podcast. This week's roundtable discussion. Hosted by Phil Hinton. So it's time for this week's roundtable in the home cinema edition of the podcast. So we thought it'd be a good idea to look back at Bristol Sound and Vision 2007 and talk about some of the items that we found interesting and find out how it went for the forums. On the panel tonight, we have Neil Davidson from T&W Marketing. Uh, we have Seth Gecko and forums owner, Stuart Wright. So we'll start with Stuart this week. Stuart, how did you think the Bristol show went this year? Uh, well, if you read my post in the forums, you'll see that um, I was absolutely delighted with Bristol this year. It was a success on lots of levels. We had lots of forum members through to say hello. We had lots of retailers and manufacturers coming through um, saying hello and inquiring about advertising. And overall, uh, yes, commercially and personally, the show was a success. So, Stuart, you managed to get a, a look around the show for the odd half hour here and there. Was there anything that really impressed you this year in terms of product? Yeah, I had a very quick look around the show. I went up to the 10th floor to see Alan Rosa and the Sim 2 dam. Those that have seen my home cinema setup will know that I've got a Barco 1209. It's being fed by a 1280 by 720p upscaled signal from a Denon DVD player. And it's fantastic. Uh, I was, however, blown away by the quality of the Sim 2, the D80 was very good and it's very much food for thought because of course Barco CRTs as with all CRTs are uh, somewhat inconvenient to set up because you have convergence and uh, mine uh, in particular sits on the floor and is a, a very big lump the idea of replacing that with something that comes very close is is pretty appealing so yeah I, I, I really did enjoy the the Sim 2 demo I saw a little bit of tearing but I thought that might have been in the source. And so that in particular stood out for me. Neil, you had a, a wander around the show on, on the Friday. Anything in particular which, which you thought was groundbreaking this year? Yeah, I had a walk around the show on a Friday, Phil. I didn't see anything that was particularly groundbreaking, but there were a number of items there that caught my eye simply because they, they seemed to be good solutions to some problems. Uh, the first one that really caught my eye was the Odyssey, of course. Um, it's no secret that I'm a big fan of that particular product. In the demo room, I've seen some, some mixed reports on the forums about it, but certainly when I was there, it was fantastic. Um, and it is a device that you can switch on and off, so I don't know if people were unlucky to hear it when it was switched off, but certainly I was very impressed by it. Um, the other thing that caught my eye, not perhaps from a performance point of view, but just from the, the, the sheer impressiveness of it, was the little projection design uh, projector. Uh, it was the size of a shoebox or less, and it was throwing a reasonable image, I have to say. Uh, it could have done with being set up, but I think that that was a fantastic solution. And as we start to see 
projection and more and more living rooms. Uh, it's a solution that, that customers will be interested in. So yeah, that one caught my eye as well. That's certainly something I picked up on this year. Um, Stuart, you, you mentioned the Barco. I mean, I've got a Barco as well. And they're not small machines. And when you look at the image quality you're getting from the projectors nowadays, from the small package that they are, they really are an appealing product to have in the living room, aren't they? Yeah, it's very convenient. The fact that you could, provided that you don't move it before the lamp get, uh, goes cold and you blow the lamp, it's very convenient to just take it in, put it down, do a quick focus and away you go. I mean, obviously it's better to have it installed properly. But yeah, I mean, it's the the, the idea that uh, it's perfectly focused right up to the edges in all the corners and you, you can, you've got more flexibility with where you can place it. Yeah, it's it's uh, obviously. I mean, we've known that, that the days of CRT have been numbered for a while, but it, it's it's kind of getting closer now for for the diehard CRT fans like me and you, Phil. Yeah, and and the other thing is the performance levels nowadays. I mean, you mentioned the D80. Yeah, very impressed with that. And there were other solutions there, like the M20 from Projection Design, which for a 720p projector. Um, was throwing up a very reasonable image, and it had the wide-angle lens on it as well, Neil, didn't it? So it was, it was only about six foot back from an eight-foot screen. Yet, you know. Yeah, I mean, as, put- I, as I say, the, the the image was not perhaps the best that you will ever see, but as a solution overall, it really caught my eye because it is something that people could live with in the living room, I believe. So moving on, the, there was a distinct lack of any promotion for the new high-definition formats, HD, DVD, and Blu-ray. Was that disappointing for you guys? Uh, I was disappointed, yeah. Um, it would have been nice to see uh, Toshiba there with some HD DVD players. Obviously, I think there would have been a lot of interest there as well. And, of course, uh, Sony were absent. Samsung and Panasonic weren't present either. And, uh, of course, one thing that uh, we have to remember is that Crystal Sound and Vision is organised by um, Tony Ravel and Jerry Lewin of uh, Audio Excellence and Audio T. And their exhibitors present brands that they sell in their shops. So although they do sell Sony products, uh, I believe Sony, have, their support for the show has been a little bit hit and miss over the last few years. And Toshiba uh, products weren't sold by either of their chains of shops until very recently. So yes, uh, it would have been nice to see Sony and Toshiba, maybe Panasonic and Samsung there with their Blu-ray products. And I think that if those products had been there, there'd have been a lot more interest from the punters going through the show. So that brings us on to the Friday night and the press conference, which covered the HD format in great detail. And there were a number of uh, industry personalities there at the show. From Arkham, we had John Dawson. From Meridian, we had John Banford and Bob Stewart. From Lynn, there was Steve Croft. And from Pioneer was Jim Carside. Like I say, the chat started uh, by discussing the HD formats, uh, HD DVD and Blu-ray. And the first point which was brought up by John Dawson was the numbers game. 720p, 1080i, upscaling DVD and HD. And um, Stuart, he brought up some very interesting uh, figures and ways of doing things, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. The numbers game being played by the industry at the moment is something which John... Uh, warned us against uh, falling into the trap of following. Remembering that, although you you may have quite a lot of HD material uh, coming through now from Blu-ray, HD, DVD, um, Sky, HD, uh, Telewest or Virgin Media as it is now with their TV drive, 
the majority of your uh, viewing material may still be standard definition and so if you've got a 576i signal coming in from standard definition DVD if you want to watch that through 1080i output then there's a lot of more processing a lot more processing has to happen than if you watch that at 720p so John warned that in a lot of circumstances 720p is the better option. Neil, is that something that you would go along with? Um, I would actually disagree in some areas with that. Not so much on the, the, the argument itself, which has probably got some good ideas behind it, but in actual practice, for example, uh, Sky viewers will know that the Skybox outputs 1080i, um, and converting that within the Skybox to 720p causes all sorts of problems. Um, so there are definitely instances where uh, 1080i is a better option. But if you have a good quality scaler or display, scaling the SD content up to 720p, um, yeah, that, that, that's certainly something that you should be looking at doing. I think the thing that John was trying to get across was, um, you know, with standard DVD, uh, a lot of people trying to upscale that to 1080i. So if you think about it, the, the image has to be um, deinterlaced, it then has to be scaled up, and then it has to be interlaced again and then we all know that digital panels nowadays are progressive so then it has to be changed once again so you're adding in a lot of artifacts into the image aren't you well you won't have that second deinterlacing step um, you deinterlace and then you scale and then it gets sent progressive to the panel uh, so even if you're feeding a 576i signal it still has to have that deinterlacing step so the two things really work in tandem as people are finding though the larger we get with these screens and projections and so on uh, video artifacts are becoming more and more noticeable. Deinterlacing and scaling artifacts and video noise are all becoming uh, much bigger issues. As we scale from standard definition, which as we all agree is still 80 to 90% of the content that we view, up to the HD material, um, it really is becoming important to, to understand the, the quality of the scaling and the deinterlacing in the displays. Moving on to another uh, subject which was raised, and it was raised by Bob Stewart from Meridian, who have a foot in both camps at this present moment in time. And um, I was very, very surprised when he turned around and said this. He basically said that the consumer, if they go out and buy a Blu-ray player now, is basically being ripped off. They're a beta tester for the uh, format because the, the Blu-ray spec, it's not finalised until June 2007. That was very surprising when he said that, wasn't it, Stuart? It was. I couldn't believe it, really. It's quite, quite amazing because, of course, so many people are rushing out and enthusiastically spending an awful lot of money on Blu-ray players and building Blu-ray collections uh, only uh, with it, without any knowledge that in the future there may be discs coming out which may not necessarily play on their players. Do all Blu-ray players have uh, an Ethernet connection which can be used to upgrade their, upgrade their firmware? Not all of them. Some do, but not all of them. Those which do, and presuming that, that their firmware can be upgraded, well, that might not be such a problem. Well, that's, that's right, but then you've, you've also got to look at the actual spec for, for the extra features, and I believe that the, the Java side of things is nowhere near complete at this moment in time. And a bit like the... the DVD debacle back in, in the early days when we saw the Matrix being released and it had the follow the white rabbit feature and a lot of the early DVD players just couldn't cope with that disc. I think that's the point that, that Bob was trying to make was the fact that this spec, it hasn't been finalised yet. And it seems like only yesterday that we were worrying about the uh, the white <laughs> rabbit in the Matrix, doesn't it? <laughs> 
Well, it does, and, and I, I mean, the positive thing to take, take from this is, is the fact that we are so lucky at this moment in time, I think, with the standards of high-definition material, be it HD, DVD or Blu-ray, it's... I mean, we've all been in this game a long, long time, most of us 15, 20 years, some of us, and it's it, when you look at where you are and where you are now it's just it's just a different ball game completely but when you've got industry personnel industry personality saying things like that and you've just gone out and spent spent 1200 quid on a, on a blu-ray player it's not the best marketing in the world I, I think there'll be a lot of people very unhappy i don't know what you guys think well do, yeah i mean just to pick up on that for me i think it's clear that there was extreme pressure on the blu-ray disc uh, camp to get their machines and get their product out uh, HD DVD got a little bit of a march with the Xbox for sure. Uh, as we know, unfortunately, with the, the the two camps not being able to agree on a spec, it really is war at the minute. One of them will have to go. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Um, and really, it's just a question of which one's going to go. So to allow one of the camps to have a free run for, you know, 12 or 18 months would have been unthinkable for the other camp. So really, forced the Blu-ray guys to to get out there, into the market with their product. Uh, but it is unfortunate that we're faced with this situation now where uh, we, we could have problems for people who are early adopters at this time. Now, Seth, you've got both formats. You've you've gone out and, and invested in, in Blu-ray. How do you feel when somebody in the industry turns around and, and says that kind of thing? I'm actually um, sitting, sitting somewhat on the fence because it almost sounds like he was just vying for a soundbite more than anything else. Um Realistically, um, the firmware on the players, such as um, the Samsung in my case, is upgradable. So there's really no reason as to why it can't be fixed when they do finalise the spec. It also sounds somewhat of an HD DVD soundbite as well to promote that particular format over um, Sony. But from personally, from my point of view, um, it just seems like somebody trying to get their name and or um, a soundbite into the press so that it overshadows everything else. I don't think that was the case at all, and I don't think that, uh, and Jim from Pioneer, he came over somewhat biased towards Blu-ray, um, to say the least, but I don't think the other guys really were biased towards any camp, I mean, they went through the features of HD DVD, they said yes, HD DVD is finalised now, but they they did point out one or two of its its drawbacks, and you've got to think as well that these guys are industry kind of, they're prominent industry uh, people they don't need to have sound, sound bites so I think you know okay so what they say you may not want to take it as gospel but uh, they really do know what they're talking about and I, I think the, the, the other thing there is that obviously I mean Meridian they've got they've got the foot in both camps so it wouldn't do them any interest to, to badmouth one format against the other would it and I think the, the interesting thing that the conversation then moved on to was the fact that we could be seeing combo players coming and the really interesting thing was that although the LG which is released at the minute is a bit of a hodgepodge of um, it doesn't do the HDI stuff and it doesn't do the the, the full HD DVD playback, John Dawson turned around right at the end of the press conference and says well wait six months. Yeah that was, uh, that was an interesting uh, moment wasn't it? I think personally although from, from what you were saying just now Neil that uh, you think there'll be a a clear winner and a clear loser in the HD DVD versus Blu-ray war. And from a personal point of view, I think it, it would make the, the whole industry a lot simpler for the general public if there was just one format. If a lot of companies bring out dual format players, 
obviously we're going to have to move on a little bit from from the LG because I think they'll they'll need to be fully functional in both formats but if a lot of companies bring out those I mean imagine say within the next few months if there were dual format players from all of the major manufacturers Arcam, Denon, Yamaha etc etc don't you think that that would mean that we would um, continue forward with both formats? Well yeah I mean certainly if the major players could get behind it unfortunately though if you look around at the major players uh, Sony Pioneer of course are far too entrenched in Blu-ray to step back now um, and Toshiba uh, with HD DVD so really what that leaves is well we have LG who sat on the fence at the start Samsung possibly could could still go back uh, to releasing a combo machine but I think it's difficult for, for the real real mainstream guys someone like Arcam or or even a Denon yes I think I could see them releasing a dual format player and I would hope that it would perform well but is that enough in the overall consumer marketplace to save both formats I'm still not convinced Is there a format which you would like to see win? To be honest with you I'm fairly agnostic about which one would win if I take a perhaps more controversial long term look I don't see a huge future for either of them um, as the infrastructure of the internet and everything improves uh, I think they're, they're kind of battling over nothing uh, unfortunately for those two, two formats I think that Blu-ray at the minute for me is in the pole position. Certainly at CES we saw a lot more Blu-ray development than HD DVD development. Probably two-thirds to one-third for Blu-ray. So if that can be used as a guide, certainly that's what we saw. It's interesting that you say that, Neil, because the thing that was mentioned right at the start, and we're going to have to move things along a bit now, but one thing that was said right at the start of this press conference was, um, let's be realistic about this. Disc sales, player sales... They're minuscule at this moment in time. It's the the market is just isn't there at the moment. So it's interesting what you say that they could be fighting over over nothing um, because the sales have been very very disappointing on both formats, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know the the full details of it, but my understanding is that the sales have not really been that impressive in the US, certainly when compared to the sales that were experienced when DVD was released. And to be honest, I think they they only have themselves to blame in a lot of respect by not agreeing on a single format. So with DVD, everyone knew that was the format and they could adopt it with confidence that there would be no problems. But, but not now. Guys like us who perhaps would have been tempted to buy a player are simply waiting. Um, for myself, I'll probably pick up a PlayStation 3 eventually uh, as my player of choice for HD discs of any kind but simply because it offers so much other than just being an HD disc player. I agree with you there, actually, Neil. I think there's a lot of people would like to buy into a high-definition playback format, but they're sitting on the fence because they're, frankly, I think, very possibly irritated by the fact that, that, that there are two rival formats out there. I know it irritates me. Yep. Um, and, and I think also, thinking particularly of the, the kind of uh, home cinema fans and enthusiasts that we see at AV forums, they want to have multi-region capability. Uh, you can go to Tesco now and you can buy you know, a 30-quid DVD player and it's multi-region. Mm -hmm. I think, I think uh, if, if uh, we had a Toshiba uh, multi-region hack come out so that people could, could wade in and buy an HD DVD player and it would play their Region 1 and Region 2 standard 
definition DVDs, um, that would do a lot to boost uh, the the sales of HD players. Yep. You, you've actually touched on another interesting point there, Stuart. I mean, my day-to-day -day business is almost exclusively dealing with custom installers, uh, and these guys are the guys who should be early adopters. They should be picking products to put into their high-end installs, but they simply will not touch HD DVD at the minute. I don't know if you've ever had the misfortune of dealing with one of the Toshiba players, but they're simply too unreliable for these guys to put into one of their jobs. And I, I was actually speaking to a custom installer in one of the richest parts of the country, and he uses that Tesco DVD player that you just mentioned, not because of its quality, but simply because you can put any disc of any type and basically of any uh, physical quality, scratch or anything, and the, disc, the, the player does its best to get some information off that disc, and it works 99 times out of 100. And for him, that is the thing that matters over the quality. Um, I perhaps don't agree with that, but I, I can see why that part of the market would not want to touch the, the HD players at this minute in time. So we'll move on. Um, that's been a, a, a bit of a roundup of, of Bristol, and, and certainly the, the major talking point, I think, in the industry at the minute is HD DVD versus Blu-ray, and we will come back to it in the, in the coming weeks. I know we will. It's just one of those hot topics that needs discussing. But let's move on. We'll stay with HD, but this time HD Freeview, and... Um, AV Podcast listeners will be aware of what Ofcom is doing at the moment and the fact that we're trying to lobby them during the public consultation on HD Freeview. Now, the story has been for a long time that the bandwidth when uh, we switch over to digital TV on these radio signals will be sold off, basically, to the highest bidder. And there's a lot of talk, a lot of conspiracy theories, whether we believe them or not is another thing, that the uh, these frequencies will be sold to the highest bidder and it was, in fact, the Treasury which is, is pushing Ofcom, who are supposed to be an independent body. Now, we approached Ofcom today to try and get some comment on where we stand at this moment in time when it comes to HD Freeview. Unfortunately, they uh, declined to give us an interview, um, but they did send us a press uh, briefing or, or, or um, their comments on uh, where things stand at this moment in time. So although Ofcom uh, declined to give us an interview on the podcast, I feel because we're having a roundtable, it's, it's a good uh, subject to discuss. It's certainly uh, prominent and it's a hot potato at the moment. HD broadcasting is an important new development and which could prove very attractive to a lot of viewers, um, particularly for lots of types of programmes such as sports and wildlife and so on. Now, at the moment, HD is available on cable and satellite, and the digital terrestrial television channels did a trial last year, which we reported on in the podcast, which proved to be very, very successful from the BBC ITV Channel 4 and Channel 5. Now, it's been believed that because the switch-off's happening between 2008 and 2012, that when we get to 2012, all this radio frequency is going to be sold off to the highest bidder, which we all know at the end of the day is the mobile phone industry uh, for the 4G and 5G services, and that there would be no HD TV uh, because of the bandwidth's not there. However, in their reply to us uh, via email today, Ofcom have said that they estimate that within the capacity that will be available at switchover, the public service broadcasters could make available the five main channels in HD on Freeview. But then it kind of contradicts itself as, as we move further down. And we will post this on the forum so you can have a read of the, the full comment from Ofcom. 
But they also go on to say that the spectrum uh, could bring benefit to society in such ways as a wider variety of standard definition channels, local TV, television services for mobile phones, and um, broadband applications. So it kind of contradicts itself because it says, well, there will be room there for the HD channels, but at the same time it's saying there's also room for standard definition channels and a lot more of them, which kind of goes along the lines of there's going to be a lot more of these uh, NAF quiz channels and so on. So what do you guys think on the current state of play at this moment in time? Is HD on Freeview a must-have for this country? Yes, I think it is, because um, come 2012, I would imagine that an awful lot of people will have HD-ready TVs. Let's face it, anybody who's buying a a new TV at the moment, we're recommending on AV forums, I think, uh, as a general policy, that people should look for an HD-ready TV. They're not particularly expensive these days as TVs go and so come 2012 there'll be a big demand people will will have these TVs they'll be used to having HD uh, signals come through from whichever format has won or both HD DVD and Blu-ray they'll have Sky HD will be a lot more common or and or Telewest so that people will be saying okay where is my Freeview HD I've got the telly uh, everybody said get an HD ready telly where are the free HD free signals so yes I think it's important that, that they are available What do you think Neil as, a, as an industry insider what, what's your view on, on HD and Freeview? Uh, I think it's an interesting one uh, if you'd asked me this question maybe two years ago uh, I wouldn't have thought that there was any option for it because of course at that time uh, Freeview was just starting out and Sky was the established player uh, and had been for such a long number of years Now, we're going to see something similar uh, in HD, Sky and Virgin, as they are now, will have had five or six or seven years uh, of a head start over the terrestrial HD, if it ever comes about. But what we saw with Freeview, with it being such a low-cost and public-access service, was the demand was phenomenal, and, and really that tells us that people do want terrestrial TV that they do not have to pay a subscription fee for, or a small subscription with the top-up TV, and they don't want to have satellite dishes and so on, uh, like you need to have for some of the other options. And so really, uh, the the demand tells me that the government really should be, be listening to uh, the, the people in this particular instance, that they want to retain an over-the-air service. And let's face it, in five years' time, SDTV is going to be fairly uh, defunct compared to the quality that we'll all be used to from all our other HD sources. Yeah, it, it's very interesting that when we come to 2012, I mean, obviously, we will, England, be hosting the Olympics. And let's face it, I mean, there, there's a lot of countries out there that already have Freeview HD, and it could be that the host nation, which is seen across the world as a pioneer and leader in broadcast technologies, we could all be sitting there and, and watching it in standard definition, getting a second-class service. And uh, it's interesting today, that quote actually came from uh, a Labour MP for Selby, John Grogan, who has gotten 40 MPs together because um, the lobby group HD for All, which is uh, hardware makers and retailers in the UK, actually took along an HD TV to the House of Commons and gave them a demonstration of what HD TV would look like. And these 40 MPs have now signed up to lobby Ofcom regarding the space and that the space should not be sold off 
to the highest bidder. There should be space left for the terrestrial broadcasters. Seth, what's your um, opinion on this matter at this moment in time? I think in a nutshell, it sounds obviously a, a political one in terms of money motivation, and, and ultimately I don't think that that should be the real pushing force behind what gets the bandwidth. Obviously, if the SD side of things um, basically disappear, um, you're going to have the cable alternative all in HD. There has to be the equivalent available to the general public um, regardless. Um, if they want it or if they don't or if they even understand what it is um, it should actually be available to them as a service um, regardless. Yeah, I mean I think that you can actually pick up on the, the public service aspect of that quite yeah. clearly as well. The BBC in the UK is a public service. We all pay a TV licence um, to, to be provided with the public service of the BBC. Now you can say what you want about the quality of the programming on the BBC but from a technical aspect, it's still head and shoulders above almost every other broadcaster out there in the world. And if you look even at the, the HD material on BBC HD, it's done to such a high standard uh, that it really is a showcase for what HD can do. And really, to me, it's unthinkable that in five years' time, everyone should be denied, or anyone should be denied, access to that HD content, because that will be the best of what the BBC is able to produce. So really we would be denied access to the best output from our public service broadcaster if we didn't have access to terrestrial HD. I mean, there are some comments that the government are seeing this as an easy moneymaker because they think that the mobile companies have huge sums, billions of pounds to pay for their 4G and 5G services. But I think what the government are maybe forgetting there is that there was a lot of fingers burnt when it came to 3G services, and even now... So four years down the line after uh, companies like Vodafone and O2 and 3 spent billions of pounds on the, the analogue radio services that we still don't actually have proper 3G services in this country. So do you think the government's maybe being a little bit blind with the dollar signs in the, in the eyes? Um, I absolutely believe that. Uh, unfortunately, I, I have previously worked in the, the mobile industry um, and one of the things that is, is really going to impact the revenues of these suppliers is Wi-Fi. We all have Wi-Fi in our laptops and our homes these days. Um, and of course there are all of these initiatives now to have free Wi-Fi uh, in cities around the country. Now if we have Wi-Fi we have no need for 3G or 4G or 5G. So why would the mobile operators spend billions and billions of pounds uh, to acquire this spectrum space? that really will have no huge advantage for them. OK, we'll, we'll stay with the um, with television services because the, there was a bit of a bombshell this morning, um, today being Thursday. If you're on Virgin Media, you'll have noticed that you no longer have access to the Sky Channels on your service. And this is because, according to Virgin Media, Sky wanted too much money. And if you call it Virgin Media at this moment in time, this is exactly what you'll hear. Hello and welcome to Virgin Media. If you're calling because you've noticed that Sky have removed their basic channels and you'd like to find out the full story, you've come to the right place. Firstly, if you've got Sky Sports or Sky Movies, then you can relax. These services are not affected. As you may have heard, we've spent the last few weeks trying to make sure that all of Sky's channels remain on Virgin Media. But Sky asked us to pay such an unrealistically high price that keeping them would mean asking you to pay the kind of increase that is simply unfair. We refuse to stand by and see our customers get ripped off. 
So thanks to Sky, some of their non-premium channels like Sky One and Sky News have disappeared from our service. Sky has also announced that it will be removing its channels from Freeview before the summer too. So not only have they picked up their ball and gone home, it looks like they'll be playing all by themselves. So there you go. That's what you'll find if you phone the company up. So who wants to come in with their opinions, Stuart? Yeah, don't you think that that message is a little bit controversial? Don't you think it's... I I thought it was a little bit petulant, to be honest. Um, I'm quite surprised to hear what I think is... uh, is coming across as, as quite an annoyed message, and, and and I think that's a little bit unprofessional, to be honest. Do you think? Well, I mean, the guy behind it all is is known for um, for trying to woo the public with with being out there and and the public champion and so on. So maybe it was done in 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 that vein. Maybe he's trying to win over public support. I mean, I think if you ask most people, most people don't like the fact that they have to pay Sky thirty forty pounds a month for for. TV services so do you think it's maybe aimed at that, at that market maybe saying to people look don't buy Sky services come to us yeah but don't, don't get me wrong I mean I, I'm a user of both Virgin Media because uh, I have Virgin Media broadband but also I use Sky for my TV services so I'm a customer of both personally I, I have more sympathy towards Virgin Media because my, my broadband service is fantastic and I don't see this as being expensive Sky, on the other hand, I resent because they single-handedly, I think, closed TiVo in the UK. Um, once they once they got very friendly with TiVo and copied the machines, I don't know if I'm going to get myself into legal trouble here, allegedly copied the TiVo machines to produce Sky Plus and thereby put TiVo out of business. So, uh, to be honest, I, I kind of like um, Virgin Media. I, I'm not so sympathetic towards Sky. So... As, as far as the, the actual wrangles are concerned within the argument, I mean, I'm not sort of particularly familiar with what's gone in, in, in the background, other than Sky want a certain amount of money f- from Virgin Media to be able to broadcast those specific channels, and Virgin Media arguing that it's too much, and uh, it seems that the, the twain shall not meet on that particular point. But it's not just Virgin Media that's going to suffer as well, because Sky are withdrawing their channels, their free channels, from Freeview as well. So do you think it's maybe a case that Sky have reached this magic 8 million subscriber number, um, they've bought 20% in ITV, which could be seen as unfair in the competition side of things. Do you think it's uh, Rupert Murdoch trying to rule the world, or certainly rule the British media? Well, it, it could be certainly that there is a case of that, but I think uh, there is an alternative viewpoint, which is simply that Sky is a business, um, and it has to be run in a way that makes it a profit. Uh, and of course, in the UK, with unfortunate way that the, the system is set up, it's only real pay TV competitors are top-up TV and uh, Virgin now. Um, so it, it could be said that if they withdraw uh, their services from their largest competitor, uh, then that's certainly a, a, a business practice that they may have adopted themselves in order to try and encourage people to uh, to use the Sky service, and I understand that on Top Up TV they are going to introduce some of their subscription channels um, and use some of their spectrum that they're losing uh, from the free channels. So again, that could be a, a a pure financial decision that they're taking there. Whether you like that or not is a different story, but I, th- I think that that is one way of, of looking at it. Pure, purely speculation here, but I kind of get the impression from that that phone message that whoever is behind it is rather annoyed. And I would absolutely love it if the people running Virgin Media come back 
at Sky with some fantastic uh, programming. I mean, there's talk on the forums, you know, people are saying, okay, I'm going to call Virgin Media and I, I expect my bill to be reduced significantly because I've lost Sky One, you know, and I'm, I'm a follower of Lost, etc., etc. But I can imagine, I mean, and, and that message itself, you know, it says uh, that they're going to be providing additional uh, programming. But, but I would absolutely love it, you know, if, if uh, Virgin Media almost made a loss. You can imagine that they'd, they'd, they'd go out of their way and they'd, they'd make a loss just to go head-to-head -head with Sky. Can you imagine that? That'd, that'd be, that'd be it, something. For, for me, that's one of the most exciting things about this. Um, I, I am also a, a Sky subscriber, uh, but I think that they've had it so easy over the last 10 years in the UK, perhaps even more. Uh, they've effectively had the monopoly position uh, in pay TV services, and there's been nothing there to challenge them. Even NTL and Telewest did okay, but they, they were so lumbered with infrastructure costs and so on, they couldn't really do anything. But Virgin, it's just a, a different proposition, isn't it? it? It just seems as though they could do something to compete. I think this is what what we need in the industry, isn't it? It's competition because competition is healthy for everybody. And I think if it's if it's one sided, then um, you either pay your money or you go without. And it's interesting today as well that the Competition Commission are also looking into Sky uh, because they've bought a twenty percent stake in ITV. And guess whose news contract comes up next year? <laughs> ITN. And what do Sky have? They have Sky News. So it's good to see that Stephen Darling has actually turned round, and this is unusual for, a, for a, a government minister, and has ordered the Competition Commission and Ofcom to look at it from a competition point of view. So um, kudos to him, and let's hope that competition certainly builds in that area of, of broadcasting, because it's, it's something that's needed desperately, I think. Well, I was going to say, the funny thing is, is I read the news article, I mean, other than that I had the email from Richard Branson um, as such on Tuesday regarding all this, and them pointing out that uh, they, they've launched this Virgin Central, which is a TV channel, plus the um, on-demand uh, library with 500-odd films, music videos, loads of TV shows, all at your beck and call, as though they were preempting exactly what was happening today. Um, the news reports were basically, um, as you said, you've got um, Virgin turning around and saying um, Sky wanted to put charge um, an obscene amount to, uh, more money so that we could have the channels. Sky have turned around and said that they put a, a proposition to Virgin saying that it would cost Virgin Media nothing. What they're basically saying in there is it might cost Virgin nothing to actually offer the channels. We're going to sting the customers. And I think from that point of view, the way that Virgin are coming across is saying, no, you charge us, we are not going to charge the customers more money um, for the channels. And from my point of view, which is the sort of the comedy value, is Sky think that um, the money they were going to charge is um, a, f a fair price for the um, excellent content that they put on Sky One. Um, and other than a few imported shows that certain people may or may not like, um, I really don't want to see uh, British chavs on holiday getting drunk every bloody week. I don't think that is quality television. Um, and so realistically, I couldn't give a... Hoot. Monkeys. Monkeys. Um, if Sky One was being broadcast for, on, on my uh, Virgin um, box or not, because they don't screen anything worth watching, that I wouldn't buy as a box set on DVD anyway. Yeah, let's face it, Sky One is the, the TV channel equivalent of the sun. Um, it's, it's not that good, it's more like the sport, to be honest. Right, okay. <laughs> well, so, same family. But I mean, just on a very personal level here, I mean, I kind of 
obviously I've, I've, I've read some of the and, and posted uh, some comments in the Virgin Media Forum. I, I, I really hope that people don't throw in the towel and say, well, that's it, I'm, I'm going to dump Virgin Media TV and get, Sky, uh, get a Sky Dish instead. Because that would really feel to me, I'm very personal here, uh, apologies to anybody listening from Sky, but I really would feel to me like the, in quote, big boys have won. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's, I, th- I think it's getting back to the competition thing. Competition's got to be healthy. And with competition, you get choice. And I think that's what everybody wants. They want the choice at the end of the day to watch what they want to watch. So it's got to be a good thing. And unfortunately, guys, we're going to have to start wrapping it up now because we are running rapidly out of time. Um, I want to thank Neil Davidson, Seth Gecko, and Stuart Wright for joining us this evening. And uh, don't forget, if you have any questions or you have any topics which you think that we should discuss on a regular basis within the podcast, then send us an email. And also, if you have any questions on AV in general, if you're having any problems uh, with certain bits of uh, equipment or you want to know how to wire things up or you're interested in a certain field, send us an email to help at avpodcast.co.uk. That's help at avpodcast.co.uk. And if we don't know the answer to your questions, then we will go and find people who do and we'll ask them to come and join us on the podcast so we can answer those questions for you. So that's all we've got time for for this week's Roundtable. Thanks very much for listening and we'll have more of the same next week. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. And that rounds up this week's Home Cinema Podcast. Please remember to download and subscribe to both the Games Edition and Movie Edition. If you don't subscribe to the Movies and Games Editions, then you won't automatically receive each edition. For more information on how to do this, please visit the podcast forum at www.avpodcast.co.uk. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening. Stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.